let's talk church week two. Um, and one of the things I wanted to do was have a character study of the early church. And I think for a lot of us, the place we go to is Acts 2 for that. You know, and they met together and they had everything in common. But that's not where I want to start because I think the early church, the earliest church starts a bit earlier. I think it starts at the calling of the disciples, not in Acts 2. And I think it's very important for us to have a look at the case study for what Jesus selects to grow the church on. Um, Sometimes it can feel, uh, we were talking about our favorite works, like random chance and happenstance. I like the word happenstance. Um, That Jesus just seems to be uh, working without rhyme or reason. But I think that there is purpose to what Jesus is, is doing, who he selects, and why he selects those people. Okay? So in Luke 5, we see the calling of the first disciples. There is Simon Peter, there is Andrew, his brother. There is James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and they are what? Fishermen. Where are they fishing? Gennesaret. Does anyone know anything about Gennesaret? Gennesaret is a town that is dedicated uh, originally to the Naphtali, okay? The tribe of Naphtali, who is the derived from the second son of Jacob. And you go, that's great. You've done some research. I'm glad. Um, But the important thing there is beautiful words. Naphtali means beautiful words. And I think what we see in this passage is some of the most beautiful words ever spoken. I will make you fishers of men. Jesus is bringing power, first of all. Come out with me. Let me fish from your boat. And you, they pull in this huge hall. And immediately they're aware of the power of Jesus in that moment. Fall down on their knees. Go away from me for I am sinful. You have this incredible encounter where they realize exactly who this person is. And there on the sea of Gennesaret, they become fishers of men. Four fishermen. I mean, let's be honest. If, if, you were, if you were pulling together the right people to grow your church, wouldn't you be looking for like the equivalent MIT graduates? Well, I mean, seriously, all the wise, intelligent, articulate people are in the Roman cities. They're not out by a lake fishing. Jesus elects to go to Gennesaret and speak beautiful words and elects as his first course, his first round draft picks for fishermen. Whose immediate response is, go away from me because I'm a sinful man. Again, Jesus is making a point. Now he adds on to this. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, also known as Levi, James, Thaddeus, or Jude or Judas, however you want to say, Simon the Zealot, and then finally Judas Iscariot to round out the crew, the traitor. Our team that is amassed to grow the kingdom of God is fishermen, tax collectors, political activists, and a traitor. And then he goes and adds a number of women to the mix, and a few of those are prostitutes. 
This is our team for the earliest church. And I think this is a really great encouragement for us. They exemplify common people with very typical failings that can be used by God in uncommon and remarkable ways. Common folks with typical failings used in remarkable ways. Judas, on the other hand, I think, exemplifies one of the challenges that we have with a church. Spiritual carelessness, squandered opportunity, sinful lusts, hardness of hearts. Here is a person that had the closest intimacy possible with God and decided to throw it all away. Jesus knew this, was aware of this, and still elected to have him on team. Church is messy, and it should be messy. God always moves with a purpose, but if we start finding a place where our church needs to be cleaner and cleaner and cleaner, then we are moving further and further away from the example of what God chooses to establish his church with. These are messy, broken people. What's the immediate thing that he does after he calls Levi? The tax collector, one of the most hated people in town, who goes and has a meal with them. And who does it upset? The religious authorities in town. What are you choosing to do having a meal with a tax collector? That's very unbecoming of you. If you're trying to be the saviour for the Jewish nation, you don't go and eat with tax collectors. Why? It's messy. It's inconsiderate. They are not well-to-do, becoming people. This is the challenge. A godly, gospel-centered church is a place where messy people from different backgrounds can come together without fear, prejudice, or judgment and come into a knowing, loving relationship with Jesus who saves them. The disciples from day one are empowered to do ministry for Jesus. Do you know when you're, do you know when you're ready to start sharing Jesus? When you're saved, day one. I mean, I don't know what that looked like for you. I mean, for me, it was a bit of a process. But at some stage, I can really clearly remember the moment where I decided to follow Jesus. And Jesus elects to fish with these guys. There has not been a six-week introduction to Jesus course that these people have done. He's literally walked up to a bunch of random strangers, said, do you mind if I borrow your boat to just teach a quick course? Then he says, come out fishing with me, and they catch a whole bunch of brim, and they go, you're the king of the world. I'm a sinful person. Please go away from me. He's like, great, you're my team. Let's do this. In between Levi and these guys, he heals a man with leprosy. Straight away, they're into it. There's no messing about. It's straight away kingdom living. You, me, together, we're going to figure this out on a journey. We're going to do this together. 
You see, I think one of the challenges is, is the way that we have always approached church, sorry, the way that we have approached modern church, I should say, has been as an academic institution, okay? Let's get educated, let's get educated, let's learn, let's learn, let's learn, let's learn. But that's not how Jesus is operating with the earlier church. Jesus approached this teaching opportunity by doing life on life together. And what it was more like is a trade. Jesus literally appointed his apprentices and then they picked up a hammer and they got into it. Let's talk about fasting. Let's work out how to heal a person with leprosy. Let's call a tax collector, which is really going to stick it to the religious authorities. And now we're going to have to deal with the blowback from that. But the whole time I want you eating with me. I want you walking with me. And I want you on this journey together. We have replaced, for the modern church, a relationship with Jesus with knowledge and attendance as opposed to serving and multiplying. Serving one another and multiplying the kingdom with disciples for Jesus. I, um, I had the great joy recently of teaching my uh, kids how to ride a bike. And I, for some of you, it might have been a while since you've ridden a bike, but it's, it's very counterintuitive. Um, the way we did it was we booked it in with um, Northern Beaches Council and we sent them off for two days and they came back and they rode a bike. It was brilliant. Far less stressful <laughs> than teaching them yourselves. Don't shake your head. It was just a way easier process, Carly. But the whole process of riding a bike is really counterintuitive, okay? It is that you have to trust that by pedaling and going faster, the bike actually pulls itself into an upright position. You know, and oftentimes there's, there's kind of a nervous cautiousness when you get on a bike and it's jiggling all over the place. It, it feels very unnatural. It feels very awkward. It feels very unusual. But there's this wonderful, glorious moment where it kind of clicks and it comes together and you start to have the confidence that when you push down on the pedal, the bike pulls itself into an upright position and then you can push down on the other side. And the faster you go, right, the easier it gets to ride. And it's glorious. My, my concern, though, is that for a lot of us, we've bought a DVD of the bike and we've watched it multiple times and we go on YouTube and we watch all our favorite bicycle riders and we give them a like and we give them a, thick, a, a, a click and then we, we put together playlists of our favorite bicycle songs. I want to ride my bicycle. We even, some of us, have multiple different versions of the bicycle at home. We can go and say, this is my fast bike, this is my off-road bike, this is my downhill bike. Some of us have even gone to the Mediterranean region and found an original bicycle that we love and we proudly display our knowledge of our Mediterranean bicycle. But the problem is none of us ever sat on a bike and ridden it. Because it feels clunky and awkward and unpredictable and we're really scared if we mess it up, 
Maybe we graze the bike? The literal baseline for Jesus is come follow me. It was literally all he asked. Four guys on a boat said yes. Just a quick test. Who is the way, the truth, and the life? What's the only way to the Father? Who's gone on ahead to prepare a place for you in heaven? Who's sent to empower you? This is a different answer. The Holy Spirit. Pass. Go and make disciples. Everyone who took the test, you've passed it with flying colors. It's a real humble baseline. Are you willing to follow Jesus? Then go and make disciples. I'm, I'm really, really, really okay if we make mistakes. I, I would much prefer you to get on the bicycle, fall off and come and see me with grazed shins and go, that didn't work particularly well. I would much prefer you to walk in with a broken down, beaten up bicycle that we have to put up on the table, repair the chain on, change a wheel on, figure out how to get it up and running so we can push you back out and you can go bike riding again. But the last thing I want to do is see a shrink wrap bike bought in here every single week that has never been sat on. Have confidence that you are equipped with the power of the Holy Spirit, with the knowledge of Jesus Christ, that you can go out and make disciples. We, we don't have it all together. The more and more, like, I don't know if you, you ever had this experience, but, it, you know, like as a teenager, you would look at like 20 and 30-year-olds and you go, man, they got it together. And then you become a 20 and 30-year-old and you're like, well, I don't even have it together. (laughs) But teenagers are looking at you like, yeah, you got it together. You're like, I'm at 40. I still don't feel like I have it together, but I'm in progress and I'm better than what I was. And I think if we have an understanding that as people come into this place, they come in at different points on a continuum with a relationship with Jesus. And if we have the willingness and the grace enough to say, come as you are. But by the power of Jesus and the work of his Holy Spirit, you're probably not going to stay as you are. Then that's okay. But if we say to someone, change who you are so that you might encounter Jesus, we've got it all backwards. Because that's not how Jesus picked the early church. When he hears in Luke 5... Go away from me, Lord, because I'm a sinful person. Jesus doesn't say, you're right. I'm going to go and find someone who's a little further along on the process than you are. He says, follow me. And that has to be the attitude that we take. This might be really hard to hear, But this service isn't your only source of spiritual growth. If you your baseline for being 
fed and edified and encouraged is based solely on the experience that we have in this place, then you are missing out on so many different other opportunities to grow in your faith. Now, there are moments, I'm sure, where you come into this place and you have a real revelation and you're like, wow, it was incredible and I hadn't thought about it that way. But for, for some of you, if you didn't show up on Sunday and you took the bike out for a ride for the first time because you have studied it you have parsed it, you have dissected it, you have exegeted it, you understand it in Greek and in Hebrew. And I'm just saying to you, can you just climb on it and ride it? I'm okay with that. I am more than happy to not see you on a Sunday because you are out riding your bicycle and ministering to people. And the next Sunday when, you see, when I see you, we're getting our hands greasy, changing a chain together because the bike has finally been used. I would be happy to miss you on Sunday because you are serving in a community that needs the life-changing knowledge of Jesus to save lives, to change lives, to transform lives, to empower people, to glorify God. And when you come back in, you've got a grayish shin because something went a little bit wrong. And you know what? That's okay. Bike riding can be hard. But if your obsession is how does this service look and how does it feel and are we doing this right and are we doing that right? No, we're not. I'll tell you right now, we're not doing half of it right. These guys didn't have long enough to practice. Mal was off on at least three different slides. I think we missed the bridge at one time. Cookie's second point didn't quite link into his third point, but he landed with Jesus, so I was very happy about that. Nikki's prayer was on point, but I don't know if we mentioned at all anything going on in the UK that that could have been addressed. And for the last two weeks, we've been planning not to have an Anzac Day service because it's a long weekend. Thank you to the 19 texts that I received on that. Okay? This place does not have it right. And I am not a perfectionist and in no sh way, shape or form am I looking for a perfect service. But I'm hoping next week is slightly better. As I work through the characters of Scripture, there is a gracious humility with which Jesus approaches each of them. I'm just going to meet you where you're at. This place should be a place where anybody can walk in and join us. And we have zero expectations that they understand any of the rules by which we play in here. It's a brand new game. And so where we meet them is exactly where they're at. And we walk alongside them in the journey. And we let them come off the bike and graze their shin and we pick them up again. I don't know if you've ever banged your, your, your shin on the pedal. My son has done that and he dropped to the ground. We pick him up 
And we say, you know what? Sometimes that happens when you ride a bike. But we don't stop riding a bicycle because we banged our shin, do we? We get back on the bike again. And so my encouragement is, is sometimes when we go out and we live a life as a Christian, we make mistakes. And we fall short of God's glory. But in this place, we come alongside a person and we walk with them. And we allow the power of the Holy Spirit to transform them. And we keep pointing them to Jesus, who is the author of our salvation. And we walk with them. I shared this at team meeting. I said one of my favorite moments in this church was the first time someone got up barefoot to do communion. Some of your eyes are shuddering because you're like, how dare you? But it was the first church I've ever been where someone walked in in shorts with their shoes off, stood up and did communion and not a single person batted their eyelids. Not a single person said, why aren't you wearing your Sunday best for the house of the Lord? And they sat down again and we just kept on going about the service. And I thought to myself, that's a place where people who have never had an encounter with Jesus before can come in and sit and go, oh, okay, well, these guys are just like the rest of me. Twelve ordinary folks selected to grow an extraordinary church. It's okay to make a mistake. It's okay to try and fall. I am not judging you for that. It's not okay to leave the bike on the wall and never ride it. A land here. You know they fought wars over salt? They fought wars over salt. Last night, we had meat and salt. It wasn't a women's event. It was a men's event. We only needed two ingredients. <laughs> it was not very well planned either. Our appetizers were shapes out of a box. We didn't care. When you sprinkle salt on meat... Something magical happens. It tastes better. That's why they fought walls for it. Life tastes better when we're the salt making it better. Last night was really good because there was a bunch of salty men in the room together. We were also pretty garlicky because, you know, Alex, garlic's on everything. I was sleeping on the couch last night, brother. Oh, now I've got to throw the couch out. Um, <laughs> it's time to be salty. Life is better when we're salty. And that's the truth of the gospel, is the gospel makes everything better. That's why we are called to be salt and light is that we get to sprinkle ourselves on little meat here and there and make it better, make it tastier. 
That's what's going to bring people in the room. Go, I was out with my salty friend. You know what? The meat tasted better. So I'm in here now to figure out how to do this more. That's enough metaphors for today. Let's pray. Lord, that we might be salt, that we might be light. Yeah, you know it, brother. That we might share your goodness and share your glory. When we have an encounter with you, Lord, like those fishermen, regardless of where we're at, Lord, and how sinful we might feel, that we're willing to stand up and say, I'll follow you, Jesus. I'll follow you. Lord, allow this place to be a place that's gracious, that's loving, that's compassionate. That when someone walks in and doesn't have it all together, we're willing to come alongside of them, to walk with them, to teach them how to ride that bike. Lord, that when we get grey shins come off, that we're able to walk alongside each other, encourage one another. Build one another up, Lord, that we might do it for your glory and for your honor. Proclaiming your glory and your life-saving hope. Amen.